Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go. David, we're here live today, ready to record today. It's good to be in the off-season mode, recording the podcasts, uh, and excited to cover Ryan Braun's illustrious Brewers career. We never gave him the the time that he deserved, which his career really sort of ended on kind of a surprising note. Of course, we had the, the obscure 2020 season, and then a lot of the unknowns last off-season, whether he was going to be returning. And it feels like a long time ago since Braun was in a Brewers uniform, but really, like I said, just the end of that 2020 season, and really all of the off-season, we were wondering into spring training, were we going to see a pr- surprise return from him? Of course, he had officially announced his retirement, again, late in the 2021 season, um, but excited today to, again, give uh, time due for really one of the Brewers' greats. He did say that he was actually close to striking a deal with the Brewers during the summer this year. Would have been very interesting to see him coming back. He then I think I think it was kind of his prerogative that he decided actually maybe not uh, decided against it. The Brewers probably could have used the boost in his uh, in the offense, assuming that he was able to return to even the form that he had in 2019-2020. Uh, but kind of an interesting note that of course you never heard about as part of the fans but maybe something that went on behind the scenes. Yeah, I wonder how that how that conversation went, what the negotiation pieces were, what were the Brewers looking for, and what was Braun looking for? Because, you know, for a guy like Ryan Braun and the history he had with the organization, I would imagine the Brewers would have the respect to obviously pay him for what he was worth. So I, I, I kind of feel like it probably wasn't a money issue, uh, unless maybe Braun's expectations were much higher than they should have been. Because really at this point, like you said, he would have been a nice bat off the bench, uh, especially with the performance we had of Jackie Bradley Jr. this year. He could have been uh, perhaps adding some value on the offensive side, but we'll, we'll never know. And it was a little surprising to see the retirement video late in the season, as opposed to you know right when the season started or even you know this offseason. So it was all around a pretty unique situation. And I, it was unfortunate, in my opinion, uh, just because he didn't get quite the farewell that he ought to have received. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they necessarily would have done this, maybe if they were out of the race or something, but I would have liked to see him play like a game, a couple games, kind of like we saw with David Wright a couple of years back, where I think it was his last series and they they knew it was going to be, uh, he he couldn't really play full-time in the major leagues anymore. You're going to have to retire. So they let him play like about six innings and I think in, in both of the games. And I would have liked to see something like that with Braun. But the top thing is you're in the middle of a pennant race. You can't really do that with with uh, some things at stake. And then you got an option player out. And it just kind of creates a little bit of a, a difficult situation that probably wouldn't have been able to have been executed well, especially given the circumstances this year. Yeah, I agree. I would have loved to see at least one more 0-2 slider swinging a miss in the dirt <laughs> for Braun uh, to end and the proper send off. <laughs> the proper send off, but it would have. You know, I agree. It would have been a fun time, and I mean, it would have certainly. I don't have any doubts. It would have been a sellout crowd, uh, even if the Brewers weren't in the race, and it was a Ryan Braun's last game with the Brewers. Well, they probably would have given out a Ryan Braun bobblehead too. Um, they could have, yeah, scrapped up eleventh, uh, or yeah. maybe maybe they just take all the leftovers from the the other six bobbleheads that they had of him, uh, with uh, give them away. Uh, in honor of Ryan Braun, but our trivia question for today has to do with Ryan Braun. Uh, he's gonna kind of gonna kind of be the theme of today's episode. 
The question is, where does Ryan Braun rank in wins above replacement in franchise history? So it, I checked Fangraphs, Baseball Reference. It's going to be the same, uh, the same ranking uh, in fr within franchise history. Where does he rank uh, among the all-time franchise greats uh, in, in Brewers history and wins above replacement? So that's today's trivia question. We'll see if Peter has the correct answer at the end of the episode. We also have a random player of the day that maybe fittingly talking about Ryan Braun's retirement. We're going to talk about Joaquin Soria today as a random player of the day who just announced his retirement. Relief pitcher uh, who played for uh, too many teams to count. 37 years old, uh, just retiring. 15 years in the big leagues. Started out in 07 with the Royals as a Rule 5 pick and had a very nice year. 2-4-8 ERA in 69 innings that year and became their closer. Had a nice run and then ended up going later on in his career to Texas, Detroit, Pittsburgh, back to Kansas City, the White Sox. And then he was traded to the Brewers uh, for that stretch run in 2018. Played a little bit then with Oakland, Arizona, and Toronto to round out his career. But a pretty accomplished career as a, a reliever. Seemed like he was a guy who was always pitching in the playoffs or at least always in important games late in the year. Uh, so kind of one of those guys. The, the Brewers traded Cody Medeiros. Uh, for him, a, a first-round pick, left-handed pitcher who unfortunately probably isn't really going to uh, pan out. He had a 5.5 ERA in AAA this year with the White Sox. But in his time with the Brewers and in Soria's short short time with the Brewers, uh, he was reasonably dependable. Uh, he had a 4.5 ERA, but also 22 innings, a small sample size. A little bit hard to uh, gauge you know, how, much does that actually, uh, how much does that actually factor in. Uh, so, excuse me, 4.5 runs allowed per nine, 4.09 ERA, if that makes a difference. And part of that excellent bullpen they had with Jeffress, um, Josh Hader, and Corey Knable, almost forgetting the names already. Uh, Joaquin Soria, pretty important member of that bullpen back in 2018, and congrats to him on his retirement. He really was. He was an asset, uh, certainly, in that bullpen. Uh, of course, we had the three-headed monster, but when you think about Soria coming in the fifth or sixth inning, um, and those were the games where the Brewers were able to throw out, you know, Wade Miley for four innings. You get an inning from, you know, one of their relievers. You throw in Soria in the sixth, Jeffress, Knable, Hader in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Uh, yeah, that's that's tough. So he he definitely was an asset for the Brewers, and like you said, really uh, played all around the league in his time and had a very very good career. The guy you reminded me of a little bit is Takashi Saito in his role with the Brewers. Saito wasn't as good of a or wasn't in as good of a bullpen. But that was pretty solid in 2011. Just kind of one name that I, uh, that I, that it reminded me of with Soria's career. So again, congrats to him on his retirement, and the Brewers did uh, play a small part in his 15-year major league career. Yeah, congrats to to Joaquin Soria, and on a, a slightly different note, I'll, congrats also to us. We've officially hit over 2,500 plays all time for the show. Uh, just want to take a quick second to appreciate all of you listening to the podcast. Uh, really, something that David and I do and get a lot of enjoyment out of creating, and we're just happy to have people tuning in to listen to our show. So we want to appreciate all of you. I believe we're up to a, somewhere around 74 episodes. Uh, we'll be hitting 100 episodes sometime uh, middle of next year, and season three of the podcast will start uh, next year in January as well. So just wanted to take a quick congratulations uh, on hitting over 2,500 plays all time. Before we get into uh, diving deeper in Ryan Braun's career, 
a couple of notes here that came up in the last week. David Stearns was interviewed uh, talking about the Brewers' openness to trading pitching. Josh Hader, uh, David Stearns in his usual uh, vague response about how the Brewers have pitching uh, depth. He didn't even like the word uh, surplus, I believe it was. Um, he just whatever he's he's got he he has his words that he likes and he'll stick to them uh, and of course was staying very vague but essentially the, that the Brewers were listening to the potential to trade pitching any thoughts on that do you think there's any validity in that or is this really just a yeah if somebody you know offers him a, a screaming deal he may be willing to trade pitching but unless that happens he's going to stick with those guys I think it's more of one of those situations because Stearns has kind of said that they're open to potentially trading pretty much anyone uh, in the right deal. So I think the Brewers would be willing to trade Hauser or Lauer or maybe even Hayter. That's kind of a separate discussion, but in the right trade. And I don't think that's necessarily news. Uh, Now, I don't see the Brewers trading when they say pitching as Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff or Freddie Peralta. But I do think that they're more willing to listen on offers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pull the trigger and actually make a trade. Another piece of news that uh, came out in the last week, the Brewers hired new co-hitting coaches. Andy Haynes had been let go uh, from his role as hitting coach uh, from last year with the uh, overall abysmal offense. And assistant hitting coach Jacob Cruz as well was given the opportunity to look for other roles and it doesn't seem like he's going to be returning. The Brewers hired co-hitting coaches with the intention also of hiring an assistant in addition. So we saw the Giants, they had, I think, like 15 major league coaches that traveled with them this year. The Brewers could be, at least to some degree, following in that model. And we've seen teams become successful with more coaches and really turn some hitters around. The the interesting part of this hire is, or, or these hires, is... Ozzie Timmons is a pretty old school guy, been a coach for a while in his 50s, was a raised first base coach over the past few years, but really comes with a hitting background. And then Connor Dawson, the other hitting coach, is a lot more of a, what would you call the new school analytical type guy. So hopefully they're able to complement each other in their role as co-hitting coaches. And the Brewers are able to see an, an improvement in their offense that was lacking a little bit this past year. Certainly was intriguing news. The co-hitting coaches, I, I certainly see the logic behind the combination, the pair of Timmons and Dawson with one, again, probably taking more analytical approach. And like you said, that new school, as opposed to Timmons, who's been around the game. Dawson seems to be widely viewed as an up-and-coming uh, rising star among hitting coaches in the game. So there certainly was the appeal for the Brewers to be able to bring him. And I'm always curious in these situations when you've got co-hitting coaches, how that works as far as uh, hitting philosophy for the team. Who has the final say? Do either of them have the final say, or does Craig Council have the final say? I'm not. I'm just curious how that would exactly work out um, beyond just you know Dawson or Timmons having an individual conversation or session with a player. You know, as far as team philosophy, is there one of them that's above the other, or is it completely uh, united under one uh, co-hitting coach position and Council makes the decisions? I don't know. More, I guess. Uh, I guess probably not super relevant, but more so just curiosity as far as how co-coaches can work together um, just from a leadership perspective. So anyways, surprising news, I would say, uh, that the Brewers decided to do that. We'll see if that's able to help improve the offense as they look to do so in 2022. We've already talked about Ryan Braun here at the beginning of the episode uh, as one of the best Brewers of all time. We'll cover where he stands all time in wins above replacement as 
a Brewer. Uh, but David, just wanted to first ask a question. Where, where does Ryan Braun for you rank all-time among uh, Brewers players in the entire franchise? I would go with third all-time. Uh, I think as far as his performance goes, he is behind Robin Yount and Paul Molitor pretty clearly. But I would put him ahead of the likes of Jim Gantner or Cecil Cooper or even maybe one of the pitchers, Teddy Higuera, Ben Sheets. I think he's in that in that third place because also he didn't have the benefit of having Yount and Molitor like Cooper did, uh, for one. And he was the star of uh, some of those great teams that we've seen over the last 15 years. I know he did have Prince Fielder. He had Christian Yelich later on in, in the late career, Ryan Braun. Uh, so it's not like Ryan Braun, the lineup that he was in, was totally bare of a, or lacking of talent. Uh, but at the same time, I think he was kind of the star, and I think he was a better player than Cecil Cooper was or, or Jim Gantner, who I know he played a long time, but Gantner was just not the player that Ryan Braun was. I would personally put him in, uh, in third place among all, um, among all Milwaukee Brewers in uh, franchise history. Yeah, Braun obviously had that 2007 Rookie of the Year season where he burst onto the scene, uh, OPS over a thousand in that in that rookie year. Ironically, he actually never eclipsed the thousand OPS mark again after that Rookie of the Year. Um, so kind of an interesting note there. And then an All Star from 2008 through 2012, also one other appearance in 2015. Uh, but from 2013 to 2020, I, I, it was surprising when I took a look at his career stats. He was just an All Star one time again between 13 and 20. Uh, still a solid player, uh, but really peaked there, of course, in his MVP season in 2011. Um, he received MVP votes 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, 12, 2013, and even 2016 as well with, of course, that uh, monster year in 2011 uh, with Braun and Fielder, of course, and, and Grinke, uh, obviously that good team that the Brewers had, uh, but certainly had a solid, solid career. And also very consistent. Uh, I, I mentioned the OPS never over a thousand after 07. His OPS plus was also never uh, above a. Excuse me, never was below 100, which of course being the league average. So even in his 2020 season, which uh, was pretty clearly his weakest season, still just barely eclipsed over that 100 uh, OPS plus. He was overall a pretty consistent player. I know he dealt with some injuries, uh, but also had you know great great seasons, uh, but didn't have a lot of lows. I would say as well across his time with the Brewers. Yeah, and especially the lows. I mean, we know the off-the-field lows that, that Ryan Braun had, but as far as his on-field performance, he he did definitely kind of crater a little bit uh, in 2014. Uh, that was, he was kind of the uh, the one who, I'm not, I'm not to say that he, to blame the collapse on him, that divisional race, but the Brewers kind of went with him offensively, and uh, he was, I know, dealing with some nagging injuries, uh, but after that, he actually declined a little bit more steadily and a little, pretty nicely. I mean, even 2019, I know the uh, the the juice ball, but slugged 505, hit 285, 343 on base percentage. Very respectable marks for a 35-year-old and somebody who was in the later stages of his career. So it's not like Ryan Braun was ever a liability to the Brewers. Had an excellent career, and really from the from the day he got there was the best hitter on the team and probably was until he was supplanted by Christian Yelich during that MVP campaign in, in 2018. 
yeah, he was he was no doubt the the clear leader offensively and probably at, for the team as a whole. Like you said, of course, the the blemish in the career uh, with with the PEDs, which I think also impacted his performance in those years, uh, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen, that time period. Uh, I, I just don't see how it wouldn't uh, when you go from. He was really one of the most well-loved persons in the entire state of Wisconsin um, to what he had done, obviously, um, in just morally for him. But I think that that also plays a role. You start going to away games in every single at-bat of every single day for 162 games straight, um, you're getting booed. I think that just takes a toll on anybody. Uh, at the end of the day, he's a, he's a person, he's human. And I would imagine that that did make his numbers dip for 2013 and 2014 before he, like you said, did have a little bit of a, I don't know if I'd call it a second wind, um, but had still very solid years, 2015, 16, 17, and 18 um, as well from from Ryan Braun. As we, as we think back to some of the big moments, because it does seem like he had a fair amount of them with the Brewers, uh, what was your favorite moment uh, for Ryan Braun? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot to choose from. Uh, you, were, you were saying that there seemed like he was always in the big moment. He was a clutch hitter, at least that's what it felt like. Um, and, I mean, you couldn't go wrong with, you know, the wild card home run in 2008, the walk-off Grand Slam kind of leading up a few days before that. Uh, you look at the uh, the 2011 home run against the Marlins. Uh, remember in San Diego where he was always, I think he debuted in San Diego and then ended up having a three home run and a triple uh, game against the Padres later on. Passed the uh, Robin Yount for the franchise record in home runs with the home run off Chris Narvison. So there are a lot that you could choose from. I would probably have to go with the wild card home run against the Cubs that allowed the Brewers to later that day clinch the or clinch a playoff berth in the form of that wild card spot. I think especially given the circumstances, the Brewers going 26 years without a playoff berth, you bring in CC Sabathia, a trade a very good prospect in Matt Laporta, uh, as well as Michael Brantley, who turned out to have a very nice career. And you're kind of putting your chips in. You've got a nice young core and kind of get that late surge. Uh, they fired Ned Yost, brought in Dale Swaim, or, or promoted him late in the year. And to be able to have that um, all kind of come together for that late season, um, that late season playoff berth in the final game of the year, Ryan Braun hitting that home run to put the Brewers ahead of the Cubs on the last day of the year. I think that that was probably his biggest moment, or at least the one that sticks out to me the most. I agree. I think that will be the moment he's known for the most, that iconic uh, bat raise after the home run and the no-doubter to left center. Uh, I, I really think that was his biggest moment. The, the walk-off Grand Slam, uh, for us, I know, uh, brings back memories, given that we were at the game, but uh, left early, given the school night. So we'll have to thank our parents for that one. Uh, but that was a big moment as well, that, that walk-off Grand Slam off Jesse Chavez, who is still playing a World Series champion this year, actually, with, with the Braves. Um, but I agree with your your uh, point of, I think Braun's biggest moment was that 2008 home run that helped the Brewers clinch their first playoff berth in decades. What about his legacy long-term? Do you see a conversation, and a chance that Ryan Braun uh, either receives some votes for the Hall of Fame or maybe even makes a case for Ryan Braun uh, going into the Hall? Well, I think to address the legacy first, uh, I think there are two separate legacies that he has. Most players, I think, kind of have just an overall legacy. Ryan Braun sort of has a separate legacy among Brewer fans and within the fan base within Milwaukee, and then a separate one across the league, uh, the players, the other fans of other teams. 
And of course, it's more complicated with Braun because of the PEDs uh, that he um, that he dealt with, that he um, the uh, kind of the controversy around that. I think uh, among Brewer fans, I think Brewer fans know that he made a mistake in uh, the PED decisions that he made, uh, but ultimately were able to move on. And I think he still is, while not quite to the level of Robin Yount uh, or maybe even Paul Molitor, as far as the the amount that they're beloved or um, he's kind of one step below that that Bud Selig, Bob Euchre even, you could throw into that category. Um, and I think that he probably would be maybe in that upper echelon if not for uh, the PED issues. Uh, but I, I think that his legacy is still as one of the all-time greats and someone who had an excellent career. And I think having a player who played his entire career in Milwaukee in this era is also very rare. So even though the Brewers did pay him pretty handsomely, uh, for him to do that, I think, earned some respect from Brewer fans as well. As far as around the league, I know when he retired, there weren't really outpourings or um, other players saying they're, how they were sad or they enjoyed playing with him or playing against him. There wasn't really any of that, which I think is a, an immediate, maybe uh, you can kind of gather that the reaction is a little bit different than when someone like David Wright or Joe Maurer retired, who's really beloved around the league. And I know a lot of other fans uh, dislike him. So I think that kind of puts um, puts a little bit of a kind of maybe an asterisk by his name or on his legacy, on his image. Uh, when we're looking at kind of what his legacy is, what his lasting legacy is. As far as the Hall of Fame, I don't think that that's really a conversation we're going to have. I think if you take the PEDs out of the equation, maybe you make the case, garnishes a, or garners a few votes, uh, but I don't think that uh, that he would make it. But when you throw the PEDs on top of it, we've not seen the voters be extremely friendly to guys, especially ones who were suspended. Uh, take like Manny Ramirez or Rafael Palmero, guys who really probably had better careers than Ryan Braun, and they aren't really getting serious consideration for the Hall of Fame. I don't think that that's really a conversation that we're going to have in five years. I agree. How about how about the number of retirement? I think this, that's a more relevant conversation. Uh, Brewers currently, we think about Raleigh Fingers' numbers retired with the Brewers, Robin Yowen, of course, um, Paul Molitor. Do you see number eight being retired? at any point for the Brewers? I do think that it will at some point, but I don't know that it'll come um, immediately. The first reaction that I would have is every Brewer who has a number retired is a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I don't know if the Brewers would necessarily take that into account, but, um, but it is the case right now. Even you say, well, I mean, Ryan Braun had a better career than Raleigh Fingers or Hank Aaron. That is true. Uh, but I don't know that that necessarily uh, would allow Braun's number to be retired. It's possible that the Brewers decide, no, we want to reserve that honor for only players who are in the Hall of Fame. At the same time, Braun did more for the Brewers than probably anyone uh, on the field outside of Robin Yount and Paul Molitor, who of course have their numbers retired and are in Cooperstown. So I think you could make the case strong that way. We saw Barry Bonds get his number retired by the Giants with the even with his of course well-documented PED ties I do think eventually it happens but I don't think it's something that happens you know next year or or, or any time in the near future I agree I think there's certainly of course the number aspect numbers don't lie he's 100% deserving comes down to whether the Brewers want to do that given the ties to PEDs but I, I agree I think 
give it some more time, and the Brewers likely will decide to do so at some point. I think it may also depend. It'll be interesting to see what what, what kind of um, legacy he has, or or really future work that he does. You think about some of the the Brewers greats, or even you know some of the more famous Brewers, including Gorman Thomas and those types from '82. But even Yount, Molitor, uh, Fingers, and their connections to the Brewers, because certain players you see a lot more. Uh, in the community, in the organization, at different events. Other players you don't see as much. Will we see Braun still have deep ties to the organization after being a Brewers for life? I don't know. Obviously, there's the fact that he lives in California um, as far as that goes, but I don't necessarily know that I see him having deep ties to the organization, um, partly because of the ties to the PEDs. Yeah, I think that's going to be a very difficult discussion, something that I think people can kind of go back and forth on when looking at the number retirement. But uh, I think... It's it's important, and I'm glad that we were able to look back at Brian Braun's you know, extremely successful career with the Brewers, uh, look back at some of the accomplishments he had, and look at, I mean, he was a MVP Rookie of the Year, a six-time All-Star, and five-time Silver Slugger. And those are marks that no other Brewer has accomplished all of those. Uh, so it certainly puts him in some exclusive category as far as some of the accomplishments of his career. I wanted to move on towards... Uh, some of the current players and some of the awards that they are up for I mentioned Ryan Braun's awards the uh, kind of we saw the passing of the torch from Ryan Braun uh, with the awards kind of to Christian Yellis and some of the other members of the the current Brewers teams uh, we had an award that was given out on Wednesday to a Brewer Josh Hader winning reliever of the year uh, fourth consecutive uh, Brewer to win reliever of the year Hader's third he won it in 18 and 19 uh, and then in addition to this year Devin Williams won it last year so Hader reclaiming his crown as reigning NL uh, former Brewer Trevor Hoffman's namesake on the trophy, the Trevor Hoffman NL reliever of the year. So he claimed that, and it's certainly a nice honor for Hader. I think it was expected that that was going to be the case. Uh, but nice to see Hader take home some hardware there. Uh, we also saw the finalists released for the major awards, the Baseball Writers, the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year, and, and those awards. Corbin Burns is a finalist for the Cy Young, unsurprisingly. Craig Council is also a finalist for Manager of the Year, although that one does not seem likely like he will win. It seems like Gabe Kapler is almost a lock to win NL Manager of the Year. Burns is an interesting case because we've talked about this before. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to necessarily get into the details of whether he's worthy or, or who might win, but him, Max Scherzer, and Zach Wheeler are the three that are up for consideration. I think Burns, of course, we have established that we believe that Burns should win the award, but at the same time, uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if the writers are on the same page as us. And that award is announced on Wednesday. The manager of the year is on Tuesday. So we will see who will, uh, who will take home that crown, especially for Cy Young, which is kind of the anticipated one for Brewers fans. Uh, and there's another, another group of awards that I think MLB started it last year only, maybe two years ago called the All-MLB Team. We, we know the All-NBA teams. You know, they've got the first team, the second team, third team. Seems like it's the same guys on the, on the first and second teams every year. Um, but MLB started doing this. One from each position, five starting pitchers, and two relievers are selected to the All-MLB Team. And 50% of it is voted on by current players, managers, executives, and 50% of it is voted on by the fans. So if you haven't voted yet, you can go on MLB.com. Find the link there and vote for the all MLB teams. They did announce the finalists a couple days ago and up for consideration, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta 
among starting pitchers and Josh Hader and Devin Williams among relievers. So be sure to vote for them. A little bit of an interesting, we think about voting as in more like uh, all-star games, uh, but vote for all MLB team. These are, I think, pretty important awards that will continue to uh, gain stock when we're looking at players' legacies. Like, oh, all MLB team is even more more impressive than an all-star appearance. So I think that that's, that that's something that could be more important going forward and definitely cool to see five Brewers up as finalists. Yeah, I think especially as the All-Star Game rosters continue to expand and the number of All-Stars increases, this is another way to, like you said, differentiate further. I was a little surprised not to see Omar Narvaez. I didn't did not dive deep into the numbers on the five uh, finalists for catching the catcher's position that they had, but I was surprised to see Narvaez not there. I know he didn't have a very good second half, but I thought his total numbers for the year would have uh, at least given him a shot at uh, the award. And I would obviously. Wouldn't have necessarily expected him to win the award, but more so I would have expected to see him as a finalist. Nonetheless, uh, great to see Burns, Woodruff, and Freddie there. Of course, Josh Hader, who I would expect and certainly should be an All-MLB recipient after receiving the NL Reliever of the Year. Um, so I think it's likely we see uh, Hader and Burns, uh, maybe even Woodruff, um, but I think likely it's likely we see two of those players on the uh, All-MLB team. Well, look, looking at the finals, you said Omar Narvaez isn't. And Narvaez didn't finish with the best year, uh, kind of struggled in the second half. But look, we, we got Wilson Contreras as a finals with his 237 batting average, 778 OPS, and his uh, his usual uh, bad framing. So, I mean, it, you know, you, you kind of see that and you're like, well, yeah, of course, they're going to put kind of the name recognition there with Wilson Contreras. And hopefully a couple of brewers are able to take home this award. I don't think Narvaez, there's really any possibility of that uh, mm-hmm. being the case, that he would be selected. And if there were, if he did, I think there'd maybe be some uh, revisiting of uh, how these, these awards are voted on, how they take place, because he wasn't the best catcher in baseball this year, but definitely did have a, an outstanding year and worthy of at least some, some consideration and some further honors for that. Agreed. 100% agree. So before we go today, last topic here, Rule 5 draft. Uh, we just want to talk about who the Brewers' eligible players are. But before we even get into that, David, can you describe how the Rule 5 draft works? Um, and then we'll jump into the four Brewers players that are eligible. The Rule 5 draft is a little bit complicated. I won't go into the weeds uh, and and go through all the different intricacies of it. But essentially, once players are in the minor league system for uh between four and five years, depending on when they were signed. Uh, They are required to be put on the Major League 40-man roster. And and so if they are not, they are eligible to be selected in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, The Rule 5 draft requires that any player selected must remain on a team's active roster for the entirety of the year. And if not, then they must be returned to their, their former team where they can return to the minor leagues. So that's what kind of what the the uh, the issue is there, or the um, kind of the way the the incentive that like you know you you want to keep them, uh, you want to get that talent, but at the same time if you don't have open roster spots for guys who maybe it's a, a raw guy who uh, who a raw position player pitcher and uh, you think they may be good in two years, but you got to keep them in the major leagues this year, or maybe someone who's kind of a fringe bench player borderline. Um, maybe last guy on the staff, and there's really no leeway, there's no flexibility, and you can't option them to AAA. So that's kind of what, what would prevent them. 
And uh, from doing it, the Brewers have had a couple more notable Rule 5 picks. Wei Chung Wong, I think, is the most notable one uh, that, we, that we've seen where they kind of tried to uh, stash him away on their roster. Didn't really work long-term. Colin Walsh, another one who we seem to mention like every other episode on here. Um, and and a, a while ago, Ned Yost and Mark Brohard, two members of the 1982 team that were uh, Rule 5 selections. But a couple of the Brewers that are eligible, Corey Howell, an outfielder, their number 15 prospect, according to MLB.com. Carlos Rodriguez, a young outfielder as well, ranked number 22 in their system. Tristan Lutz, uh, I think former second rounder a few years back, outfielder, ranks number 29 in the system. And then a pitcher, Victor Castaneda, who sits at number 30. I think the Brewers will probably choose to uh, add Corey Howell to the roster. Pretty toolsy outfielder. Could be in the majors at some point as maybe kind of a utility guy. Can play in the infield a little bit as well. Uh, and I think they'll probably choose to protect Victor Castaneda. I could see him even being up as a reliever next year. Maybe a little bit. Uh, got a good splitter. Uh, sits in the low to mid-90s. And could be an effective multi-inning reliever. So those are some of the guys that I could see the Brewers protecting, not wanting to lose to other teams uh, in the Rule 5 draft. And obviously there's a downside to adding those guys, 40-man roster, uh, very obviously, consists of 40 players. So adding two would result in, in dropping two players. Are, do the Brewers have flexibility uh, in the 40-man roster, and how does that play into their decisions with who they select? They do have some flexibility. I believe they have around 34 guys on the on the roster right now uh, because a lot of the free agents that left, uh, like Pena, Escobar, and I mean, I won't name them all, but a lot of them left. And so there is a little bit of extra room there, but they are still valuable. And uh, you have to obviously put any free agent signings, guys you get in trades, got to add them to that roster. So it is important to make sure you don't just add everyone in fear of losing them when they probably aren't going to be selected in the Rule 5 draft anyways. I think the Brewers probably will choose to protect those two. This is my prediction, uh, and not Rodriguez and Lutz. Uh, but there's no real way of knowing, and the deadline to do that is this upcoming week, um, and I think later in the week. So that's why I just kind of wanted to, to touch on that and give fans a little bit of, of knowledge and um, kind of see what the Rule 5 draft is actually. Yeah, it's one of those uh, baseball rules that I think most people don't understand. I, I think at times I don't even understand it fully. Uh, but we're just one of those intricacies in the rules as far as distribution of players and, and how the whole minor league system works. So, David, circling back all the way to the beginning of the episode on our trivia question, can you remind us what that is today? Today's trivia question was about Ryan Braun. Where does he rank in wins above replacement in franchise history? Um, that is according to both Fangraphs and Baseball Reference. So no need to get into the details there. Where does he rank in wins above replacement among all players in Milwaukee Brewers franchise history? What is your guess, Peter? Well, we had, of course, Robin Yount and the Paul Molitor discussion about the, the two likely best players in franchise history. Of course, Yount spending all of his years with the Brewers, Molitor not as much. I was thinking about whether Molitor would have the war uh, above Braun, uh, given that he didn't play all of his time with the Brewers. But I'll still go with Ryan Braun, number three, after the two Hall of Famers, Yount and Molitor. That is correct. Uh, he sits at around 45 war, depending on which calculation you use which site. Uh, and he says ahead of Cecil Cooper, Cooper right around 30, 30 to 35. Uh, I know on, on Fangraphs, Jonathan Lucroy is actually above Cooper because of his pitch framing numbers. Baseball reference, Lucroy's way down there uh, at number 20 all time uh, in, in Brewers history. 
But Braun sitting at number three, uh, you know, we kind of talked about, is he the third best player in franchise history? And at least wins above replacement thinks so. Uh, now, of course, there's a lot more that goes into it than just war, but uh, a nice stat that uh, gives an overall general rough assessment of value of a player in Ryan Braun sitting at number three all time in Brewers franchise history for war. Yeah, I think it's a great way to sum up, again, our tribute to Ryan Braun's career as a Brewer, uh, as today, again, our focus for the episode. Also covering Josh Hader's uh, third Reliever of the Year award, Corbin Burns and Craig Council, finalists for Managers of the Year, as well as Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, Hader, and Williams as all MLB team finalists. Next week, we'll be talking about free agent targets. Uh, it should be a good one. Nelson Cruz has been an, a name that David has floated. Um, Mark Canna. Uh, not a not as exciting name that David <laughs> that David has also floated, um, but where do the Brewers look for additional offense? It's no secret the Brewers need to add to the offense. Where do they go? Uh, how big of a splash do they make? Do they have the payroll to even bring in a guy like Nelson Cruz, or are we looking at a lower payroll guy? Uh, even are we considering Manny Pena, Eduardo Escobar? Uh, will any of the free agents come back uh, next year? So again, tune in next week uh, to hear about the Brewers' free agent targets. Uh, and David, as we wrap up today, any final thoughts that you have? We talked about the M all MLB team, and you can go on MLB.com to vote there. The voting does end on November 19th, so just make sure you get your vote in before then. The results actually come out November 23rd, so a few days later. And it'll be interesting to see if Corbin Burns and Josh Hader, I, I think, are the two most likely uh, to be recipients of awards on the all MLB team. Uh, so be sure to watch that. We'll we'll make sure to cover that, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, the Brewers didn't have any All MLB team uh, winners last year, and I think last year was the first year they did it. So would I guess be the first first in franchise history? There you have it. So again, next week we'll be covering free agent sightings. Feel free to uh, tune in next week as we cover that. And as always, go Brewers! Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.